We're actually in the fourth and final part of this lesson that is titled The One and Only Promise Keeper. If you all remember, chapter 6, verses uh, 19 and 20 is where we pick it up. However, let's read for context's sake. Let's go all the way back to verse 13, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. Um, I'll read verse 13. You can uh, read, or, or I can read. I'll just read for speed's sake. Then when we get to the, the text for tonight, uh, we'll read it um, together. I'll take it here. For when God made a promise to Abraham, promise, promise, remember, promise, To Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he, God, swore by himself. Technically, the Hebrew would be in the Old Testament, here in the Greek, is that God could swear or shake hands with none greater, so he shook hands with himself. Isn't that cool? It's like this, I I do hereby solemnly swear. And, And God says to himself, I do hereby solemnly swear. Isn't that precious? I love it saying, surely, blessing, I will bless you, that is Abraham, multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all disputes. In other words, we've, we've signed the, the deal, we shook our hand, the argument's over, it's done. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability, the unchangeableness of his counsel. I love that. Confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things, church family, the only two immutable things, technically there's three, but this records two because the context demands it. The three is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The two mentioned here is the Father and the Son It's awesome, beautiful. And so the two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope set before us. And before we read the rest of it, Father, we pray in Jesus' name that this profound and awesome truth would take hold in our hearts that would be the very catalyst by which we are a transformed people. In a world of hurt and pain, broken contracts, broken covenants, broken deals, it almost seems impossible to our frail minds that anyone could keep their word. Glory be to God that you keep your word. You are the promise keeper. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated in this one and only promise keeper. We saw that God in verses 13 to 14 is himself theologically by biblical revelation bound to himself. That's what we just got done reading a moment ago. I don't know, there's nothing that I can do but trust God that he communicates this to all of us. I I would stand on my head if I could to convince you of this, but that's not going to do any good. It's got to be received by faith, and it's this, friends, that God has determined to convince you of his great salvation so much to the point that he bound himself to himself to guarantee the promises. There's nothing greater that you can be offered 
And we saw this in several ways. We saw in verses 13 and 14 that when God says what he says, he's going to do that thing. He's going to keep his word. You need to be almost militant about that, Christian. When you read something in the Bible, highlight it, grab it, write it down, print it out. Make a photocopy of it. Stick it on your, 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 your mirror in the morning. Whatever it takes. God must keep his word. He can't change. He's stuck. I say that in an awkward way. He's happily stuck to his word because that is his very person. We'll see that tonight in our closing argument. We also learn this, that what God does is what he will do. If you look at the Old Testament, and if you look at the New Testament leading up to this moment in our lives, what God has done, that's what he's going to do. He's so dependable. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't go off on a tangent. He's not whimsical. Man, listen, I don't say this to upset anybody, but for those of you who know, you know that this is true. If you have any Muslim friends, my heart goes out to them. I have Muslim friends. And listen, the God of the Quran does not have to keep his word. There's no promises that, that even demand to be trusted in. He's, you know what the word capricious is? He, the God of Islam is capricious. He's, he can change his mind. It's okay. And the Muslim doesn't know what he's going to be like on Thursday. That is the God that he... Worships. Don't ever confuse the God of Islam and the God of the Bible to be the same. They're, Muslims know that, by the way. You'll hear people say they're the same, but a Muslim will never say that they're the same. It's just all these other people running around who don't know what they're talking about saying that, that it's the same. They're not the same. You have the assurance of Yahweh's promises. And those promises are out to anyone and everyone, no matter what your upbringing might be. If you trust Christ tonight, you can be delivered from being a Baptist. If you trust Christ tonight, you can be delivered from Calvary Chapel. If you trust Christ tonight, you can be delivered from the Catholic Church or from the Methodist Church. You can be delivered from Mormonism or Islam or Judaism. Think about it. The God of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is simply asking you to take him at his word. And here's the great thing. There's no reason why we shouldn't, because he's kept his word all the way through. No one can ever read the Bible and say, ah, we got him right here. We found this loophole. God made a mistake. No, you're not going to find it. The second thing we saw last time is this, that the one and only promise keeper is the one who has set the times for himself. We saw that in verses 15 and 16. He's the God that goes to work and he works a work until it's done. He will never give up and he's not put off by time. He doesn't work according to our schedule. But he does work. And he finishes what he begins. Do not come to my house. Everything's almost done. And almost done is an unfinished home. You know? Where's that wire go? I forgot. I don't even know what it's for anymore. Not God. You open your life to him and he goes to work. You say yes to Jesus Christ, he comes in. And you may run around the world trying to run away from him or delay the process. He'll wait. He'll wait. And 
friends, it's best, as I said on Sunday, just quit. Just give up for this reason. He'll outweigh you and he's got the time. You don't. Best to yield to him. He goes to work. We also learn in verse 16 that when he finishes a work, he finishes it. (laughs) Completely. I'm so glad about that. Today, this church, and I had a chance to preside over the service where we laid one of our own to rest, so to speak, bodily speaking, L.A. County Sheriff Deputy, now safe, finally safe in the arms of Jesus. And a lot of weeping, a lot of deputies packed out this place today. And... um, It's amazing to be able to have, to stand here in front of such an intimidating crowd, but to stand here with the absolute authority of God's word that you can put on a badge or you can put on a uniform or you can put on makeup or you can put on a suit, but that doesn't make you who you are, that God knows who you are on the inside. And he loves you and I so much, my friend. God does not fall for the narrative of our day nor uh, the trending topic he's not swayed by that God is going to finish the work that he has begun in you because he knows exactly who you are you may not even know who you are he does and it's a good thing thirdly it is this we saw that he's a God that cannot change he cannot change himself because of these things It's impossible for God to transition or to morph. Can't happen. Verses 17 to 18, we learn that it's impossible for God to waver. He never wavers at his promises. He says them, and it's almost like this, people. It's almost as though God is begging us to take him up at his promise because he won't waver, and he wants you to learn that. And... The things in life that you and I go through as brothers and sisters in Christ and children of God, he brings us through these fiery things to show us all along the way that he doesn't waver. He's just like, he's just a beacon in in the night. I mean, my mind right now is flashing to a, a, a point where Lisa and I were on vacation one time. There's this horrific storm, lightning and thundering going off and, uh, we were in Hawaii and it was a pitch black night and the storm and the waves and the crashing and in the distance, in the black of the night, you couldn't tell the sky from the sea until lightning struck and there was a boat in the distance and I thought, and I pr- actually prayed for them because you know the light of the boat would go up and then it would go away and the light of the boat, you know, that's rough water people. And just to the north of us was the harbor. And hours later, that boat made it. But out in front of the harbor was a lighthouse, beacon. Can you imagine being on a storm-tossed sea and you see a light that's on shore? The feeling that must give. Incredible. God doesn't change. He doesn't waver. There's no transition in him. And listen, we finally saw last time is that it's impossible for God to refuse or to reject you. The Bible says that God will receive anyone who will come to him. And because he makes you a promise, he's going to keep his word 
even though you and I may waver, he's going to keep his word. So church, mark this down if you would. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. The Bible says, for I am the Lord, I change not. That's a great tattoo, isn't it? That word change, (laughs) it's kind of funny, especially if you look it up and you can click on Hebrew online. You can click on and listen to it. and And it's this, Shana, Shana. And when you press repeat, it's Shana, Shana. It sounds like a song. And it means this, I won't change. I won't change. Sometimes we need to hear that about our God. He will not change. And that word, as we have it, look, in the negative, meaning to be unable. When he says Shana, it's unable for me to differ. Unable to disguise myself, God is saying. It's unable I'm unable to transfer, unable to vary or to shift. He is unable to transition or to morph into something else. He's the eternal God. And he's reliable. I wrote this down. I want you to hear it. He is who he is. And he is unable to become anything or anyone other than who he is. That's the God of the Bible. James chapter 1 verse 16 says... Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Isn't that a great term? With whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So why is this unchanging fact about God so important to us? Friends, it's where we close it out. It's because it's his nature. Verses 19 to 20. The one and only promise keeper, listen to this, please mark it down. He must be to you and I what he is by nature. He is who he is, friends. But is he who he is in your life? Is he that God of the Bible? He must be this for us. We must, with all commitment as a believer... Take God at his word and grab on him in such a way for his nature's sake, his person's sake. This is extremely valuable. So it says in verse 19, you can look at it with me, or you can put it on the screen. You got it there? Look at this. This hope, you ought to circle that in your Bibles, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence Behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Quickly moving this out of the way, we've studied Melchizedek in the past. We'll touch on him again in the future. He'll be brought up again. Simply this, Melchizedek is the one who Abraham encountered after that great battle, uh, where he went to rescue Lot and his tribe, really. And after Abraham fought and was victorious, on his way back, the king of Salem came out to greet Abraham. And the king of Salem, Salem is the root word to Jerusalem. You know it as Jerusalem. And his name was Melchizedek. Some say it's a name, some say it's a title. It certainly is a title, but he's the prince of 
Salem, the Prince of Peace. That's why many people have talked about him as being a type of Christ. He certainly is a type of Christ. Some have even gone so far to say that he's a, it's a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Maybe so. That's not the point tonight. We want to look at the nature of God. And in these last two verses, it's all important. Please mark this down. We must, you and I must, take him by his nature, at his nature. And the first thing is this is that he must be our ultimate, church, please, stability. He's got to be our ultimate stability. Now, everybody, if we believe him or not, he is anyway. Are you with me? He is who he is. You're not going to change that. He is the ultimate stability in all of life. There's nothing greater. This hope, this definite statement about the hope, this is a hope, watch this, everyone, This is a hope that we have as an anchor of the soul. These are very serious words, both sure and steadfast. How do you pack that kind of uh, theology into, into a sentence? Look at this. Let's unpack it together. The hope that is not being spoken of here is the hope that you are hoping happens. We, we all know what that kind of... Are you guys with me? You're very quiet tonight. The hope of this world that you and I deal with is a hope like, oh man, I hope he shows up. That's not the word. Oh, I hope it comes through. That's not this word. Oh, you know, I have hope that everything, when you know, the scan comes out okay. That's not this word. This word hope is a word that means actual, for real, factual. It's true. It is a hope that is arriving like on a track. You can see the light coming. You can hear the train's whistle. You can start to sense the track vibrating. The train's arriving. What is it? It's the train of hope. It's not that you're hoping that it arrives. You're steadfast. You're sure what God has said is true, and you can trust him just like you trust that train arriving in the station. It's going to happen. You don't have to waver. You don't have to doubt it. That's stability. The Christian in this world should be the most stable person. I'm not talking about, again, as I mentioned Sunday, your personality. You are, you are, you are who you are. Personality. Okay? That's fantastic. We're talking about the stability of your soul and of your spirit, of your faith, of your belief. That he's steadfast. God is immovable in what he says. You can trust him in it. And so the Bible says this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Remarkable statement, an anchor. So I did a little snooping around. I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't have a boat, so I had to look this stuff up. Those of you who have a boat, I've discovered that you don't take your boat out without an anchor. Did you know that? No anchor, uh, no boat. You can say, no, I've got a boat. Technically, we should ask you, but do you have an anchor? Because I'm not getting on your boat unless you have an anchor. I have got to tell you, I've been on friends' boats, and I've never stopped to ask them, do you have an anchor? I assumed they had an anchor. Today, there's a lot of assumptions. The church that you attend, if it's not this church, if you go somewhere else, how do you know they have an anchor? We ought to paint an anchor on the building. No, wait, that wouldn't be an anchor. Maybe we should just put an anchor on the building. 
an anchor. So this is what I learned. It's the most important part of the ship. I never would have thought of that. I would have thought that the restaurant was the most important part of the ship. It's the anchor. And uh, did you know, because uh, if a ship loses its power, it's in danger of being put adrift without an anchor? Did you know that if a ship loses its power, it can drop anchor? But it's got to have an anchor. If it doesn't, it's adrift. And I looked into that, and I love cruise ships. I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise ship. Lisa and I discovered them too late in our lives. We wish we would have gone sooner. It's marvelous. But then I saw on YouTube a cruise ship that lost its power. And when it dropped its anchor, it was in too deep of water in the Pacific for the anchor to hit the bottom. It was adrift. And when it was adrift, guess what happened? It was getting hit by the waves at all kinds of different angles. And I turned it off because I'd, I want to go on a cruise again someday. And <laughs> I don't need that kind of filth in my life. <laughs> Did you know that if a ship loses its rudder, it's in danger of being aimless without an anchor? A ship can lose its rudder if it's got an anchor. You know the rudder, right? Did you know that if a ship loses its control surfaces where no, by, no, no uh, further can be operated from uh, the control room, that it's in danger of being washed ashore without an anchor? Anchor is the most important thing. And I want you to know tonight that the promises of God is the anchor of your soul. You, I don't care how young or old you are, I don't care how poor or how rich you might be, I don't care what ethnicity you may be, all of that is irrelevant. If you don't have an anchor, I want to ask you, why not? And get one quick. And that one I want you to get is the promises of God, but that's a faith decision on your part. You need an anchor for your soul. In this service today, I announced right from the start, I welcomed the family, I welcomed all of the police officers, and I said, let's just get this straight right here, right from the beginning. This is a celebration. This is not a funeral. I've done funerals. That's when I do, that's when I do services for unbelievers. Those are funerals. But when a Christian graduates, it's a celebration. And... The mom and dad spoke, the brothers spoke, the sister spoke, the cousins spoke. And they all had faith in the Lord Jesus and they were quoting scripture and they were crying with hope. And they, they listen, they pointed right down here where her body was in the casket and I pointed out to the people, let's all recognize this, what the Bible says, only her body is in that casket. She's long gone from here. She's in the presence of the Lord Jesus rejoicing. How can we be so sure? Because God has said so. We're not arrogant. We're not talking ourselves into this. God has said it. He must keep his word. And that brings profound stability into your life. I mean this with all of my heart. This is no hype. This is no joke. In your life, if there's anybody in your life, I don't care who it is. I don't care what your relationship is. Listen, I'll go, I'll go this far. Maybe you came in here tonight and you are... Uh, uh, Susie and Billy and you're, you're shacking up sex together you're not married all this stuff but you decided to go to church listen we're glad you're here watch this 
You need Jesus. You need Jesus as much as I need Jesus. Here's the thing. Open up the Bible. The two of you, open up the Bible. Now, I'm going to get mail on this, but this is how life really happens. We need to be patient like this. If they walked in here tonight because God led them here, or if a prostitute Ubered over here tonight, and she's in service, or in this day and age, he or she is in service, open up your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, after service, we'll give you one. Go home and read it out loud. Just start reading it. Billy and Susie can go home. You open up the Bible, start reading it out loud. Go to John's Gospel, start reading it to each other. Read verse 1, let her read verse 2. You read verse 3, and let me talk. Listen, that is going to do more to transform their lives than you and I saying, how could you do that? Shame on you. They already know they have shame on them. They know that. The Holy Spirit's speaking to them. That's why they're here tonight. Go read your Bible. And he will transform you. The option is unacceptable. The option is, we shout to you, thou shalt not. And then you'll get in line and keep the rules and your heart will never be with God, but it will be with rule keeping and you'll miss heaven altogether. But when you open up the word of God, that power of his word will transform your life. Why? Because every single one of us, as the Bible says, that we walk as it were on a slippery path. And in due time, their foot shall slip. But God says, I want you to be like a deer, a hind on high places. You ever see goats or ibex or... Now, we don't have ibex in America as far as I know, but we have the Rocky Mountain goat and we have the the ram... If you've ever been out to the Colorado River or the Mojave Desert, I don't know if you've ever seen those rams. First of all, they're extremely hard to see because they look like a gigantic rock. They seriously do. See, that's a funny-looking rock. It's got horns on it. I don't know how those things live. 120 degrees in the middle of nowhere, and they're massive. And God sustains them. The book of Job tells us this, but you see such an environment, you see such a setting, you see such a thing, and you've got to stop and wonder, and they move around and they jump from stuff that you and I would never do. And you're certain that they're going to they're, they're gonna just fall to their death, and it's like they're glued as they run on the mountainside. And they're stable. Why? Because they're in their element, right? Are they not? If you are here tonight or if you're watching right now, if you're not trusting in God to keep his word to you, you're not in your element. You were created for the word of God. That's why you're not happy. That's why you're searching and going places and you're not finding anything. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Isn't that a song by somebody? I think. Huey Lewis said, you know, I want a new drug. I loved when that song came out. I was a Christian. Huey Lewis in the news was a big deal, and that was a big hit. And I was a Christian. I was listening to that song, and I knew exactly what Huey was asking for. I wanted to yell right through my eight-track cassette (laughs) and say, Huey, you don't even know it, buddy, but you're crying for Jesus. 
and you don't even know it. You want a new drug that won't make you sick, he said. I want a new drug, the one, one, doesn't, one that doesn't give me a headache. No, you need stability in your life, and Jesus is that very thing. I'm going to give you some scriptures. Please write them down if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19 tells us, having faith, two words, what a profound statement. Having faith and a good conscience. Those go hand in hand. Which some having rejected, the word is cast away, cut loose. Think of the anchor, friends. Concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Wow. 1 Peter 1.19 says shipwreck. When you reject faith, you become shipwrecked in your life. By the way, the word shipwreck implies that they break up. They break up. They break apart. Their life becomes splintered and shattered. So I want to give you some stabilizing promises. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 18, listen to this. I'm going to stress it, if, if you don't mind. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. You ought to write that down or take a picture of it. God is the one that he's leaning on to say he's going to deliver me. I'm trusting that the Lord will deliver me from every evil work. That's going to become more dear to us as the years or as the months come upon us. Ephesians 3.20 Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. That's a great promise. Are you waiting for God to move in your life? Don't become impatient. Wait for him to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. Wait for him. John chapter 10, verse 29 and 30. Jesus said, My Father who has given them to me, the believer, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. How's that for security? Does that make you feel good? I like that. That's stable. That's stable. What about this? Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good. Listen, there's a qualifier. For, uh, to those who love God, do you love God? To those who are called according to his purposes, do you know you're a Christian? For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the first fruit among many brethren. He is the one up front. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Listen to this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's be honest. You guys, verse 31. It, it, what shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? I'll give you, I'll, I can give you a thousand names of people. Do you know, don't you know there are people against you? It's not that... If we, if we love Jesus, no one's going to be against us. No, the exact opposite's true. But this promise announces to us, what then shall we say to these things that were just said, the previous verses, if God's for us, who can be against us? Meaning, you can line up the entire universe that's against you. And they have no influence or power over you unless you give it to them. But why would you do that? Keep your eye on him, 
the Lord who's stable. And he'll see to it that your ship arrives in safe harbor. He's the anchor of our souls. Man, I love that. Secondly is this, approval. We must, he must be our ultimate approval. God is our approval. That verse says in verse 19, and which, speaking of he, enters the presence behind the veil. It's, it's speaking about Jesus Christ being our high priest who enters in behind the veil. Church, listen, this is fun, and I'm, I'm going to go quick because we have to wrap this up. It's this. When, when Jesus is announced here as the one that goes behind the veil into the presence, are we talking about a temple in Jerusalem on earth? If we are, we're in trouble. Thank God Jesus Christ never entered into the temple in Jerusalem as high priest. You want to know why? Because that temple was only a shadow of that which is to come. That temple was was made by man. There is a temple that is eternal. And the Bible says that that temple ultimately is God Almighty himself. And the Bible says that Christ is the light of that temple. The Bible says there's an Ark of the Covenant, not Indiana Jones style, not Moses style. Did you know that the real Ark, the real one, not the one that was in Jerusalem or in the wilderness of Sinai, the real Ark is in heaven. The one that Moses made is a type of the one that Moses saw in the vision God gave him of heaven. Why is that important? Because on top of the mercy seat is what? What is poured on top of the mercy seat, class? Blood. Whose blood? Jesus' blood. Where? Heaven. No wonder why the Bible says regarding your salvation, this is the way I read it, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The greatest treasure you can own and possess is your salvation. It's not in some earthly vault or some temple. It's in heaven. When Christ rose again from the dead, when he entered into the holy of holies of heaven, the Bible tells us that he entered with blood. Think of that. That's awesome. Because no moth, no rust, no thief can break in and steal that. By his sacrifice, we have approval. Beginning with Adam and Eve... They sinned, refused to repent, by the way. Remember this. You know, we can't point fingers too firmly at them. They were, our, this, they were the best shout. They were the best of us, Adam and Eve. And they, 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 they listen, they sinned and they began to blame everyone. The fingers are going this way, every which way, blaming every which other one. And then ultimately they just blamed God. Adam blamed God because he said, it's the woman you gave me. The woman said... Don't look at me, it's the snake. And somebody said the poor snake didn't have a leg to stand on. Anyway. um, But all the blame, all the blame going around. You know if Adam and Eve would have said, God, please forgive us. Please forgive us. Did you know that we would have been in paradise right now? So think about this. When God said, listen, here's the deal. Here's what I'm going to do. Universally, we, we don't often think about this. God says, I'm going to cover your nakedness, which was an emanation of their sin. What did he cover them with? Skin. 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 Where did God get the skin? 
Did he snap his finger and get some skin? Something had to die. It doesn't say in the Bible, but I bet it was a lamb. Abraham offers up Isaac on Mount Moriah. What does God do? He provides a ram. The Bible is very clear in Leviticus 17, 11, The Bible says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. This is a pretty cool statement, you guys, because this, this is only like about four or 5,000 years old. Did you know that science took a long time to catch up to that scientific fact that Moses uttered? Because it wasn't Moses uttering it. It was God himself. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. You can research that later. They used to think it was in the, in the, um, in the air. But the blood is the transportation system of life. Without blood, you have no life. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Who says this? God says this. There's nothing more precious in life, you know this, than blood. When, you're, when your friend's in an accident and they need blood, you rush to the hospital to give them your blood. You're giving them life. There are campaigns. Give blood, give life. Of course. Transfusion, save a life. Blood. The approval that you and I have before God is by and is based on the blood of Jesus. It's amazing. So here's what's, here's what's fantastic to me. On this side of the veil, because the Bible talks about him going through the veil and into the presence. On this side of the veil, watch this, on this side of the veil, there seems to be life. On this side of the veil, on the outside of the veil, there seems to be life. There's noise. There's, there's life. There's street traffic. There's food. There's life. There's living on this side of the veil. We think we're alive on this side of the veil. The Bible says that Jesus, just like the high priest in the Old Testament, would pass through the veil, right, into the Holy of Holies. In Jerusalem, the high priest would do that once a year with the blood of the sacrificial lamb. God said, I don't want the high priest coming into my presence without blood, both for himself and for the nation. He needs to have blood. And the blood's got to be of an innocent lamb. Perfect lamb. On this side of the veil, seems like life is going on. Who, who notices? Life, listen, life has to be given to enter into the presence of God. On the other side of the veil, there's blood. There's a sacrificed animal. Looks like death to me. But it's the death of one. On this side of the veil, everybody's living it up. But the Bible says, if we live for pleasure, we're dead while we yet live. We think we're alive. You look at Hollywood and you look at all of the, 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 the world of Hollywood, the world of Fifth Avenue, New York, life, living it up, woo! The silly magazines. I just went through a store yesterday and I walked through the, you know, the line and they got all these dumb magazines. I'm sorry, they're just dumb. I don't care about this person's, this person's new diet that she's discovered. And, and you can buy the magazine. I don't care. And did you know that Brad just broke up with somebody else now? Who cares? 
In my lifetime, there used to be magazines called, um, like me, but it started out with Life. Remember Life magazine? And then it was, then there was us, and then there was like me, or myself. It's kind of funny when you look at the evolution of magazines because now it's all this. Hey, you can live forever. And you look around this world and you say, why would I want to live forever in this world? (laughs) There's a cover of a magazine that Chris Rock, you can look it up. Chris Rock is standing, he's all dressed in white. And it says something about he is, uh, he has found immortality, Chris Rock. Did you know that? The comedian. (laughs) What's going on here? I don't care. The world on this side is celebrating. What, I ask you? It looks like it's alive, so it thinks. On this side of the veil looks like death. On this side is where the real life is. The world looks at the Christian and says, you poor things, you have no idea what you're missing out on. Oh man, orgies, drunken brawls, fist fights, pillaging, war, you know, fighting, uh, cheating on each other. Oh, it's fantastic, you should join us. No. They think we're missing out on stuff. What they forget is we used to be just like them. And then God rescued us out. How did he do that? He brought us through the veil. He brought us through the veil into his presence. Some, something had to die, but that something was Jesus. Jesus died and he brings us through the veil based on his sacrifice. That's why it's so silly for you to say, I can't come to Jesus because I, I, I'm, I'm a big sinner. Oh, stop it. You're... You're you're trying to impress yourself. It doesn't work. (laughs) You need to come to him. You need to go through the veil. But listen, there's only one way to do that, and that's through him. And that's where we end, verse 20. Where the forerunner has entered in for us. Forerunner has entered in for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Write this down and we close. He must be our ultimate passage. So with our Bud's ministry outreach to the men of the church, one of the things that we're going to be learning is how to teach our children or to walk our children as dads through rites of passage. We've kind of lost that in the West. In the Middle East, for example, in Israel, there's the, there's the bar mitzvah for the young lady and there's the bar mitzvah for the young man. And it's a big deal. It's awesome and it's beautiful. But we have nothing in the West. What do we do? What do we do when somebody turns maybe 13 years of age or 10 years of age or 16 years of age? And so we, we want to have, have like a commissioning and, a, and an actual son, you know, son, daughter, you are now this age and we celebrate this moment in your life and, and here are the friends and these are the other dads that are standing with you and just something, you know, give them a sword or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> that there's a rite of passage. What does that mean? That I've, go, I've gone from here to here. Well, you're 18 now. What does that mean? They may not be 18, by the way. Just because the law says they're 18 doesn't mean they're 18. Only a parent would know that. But that might be kind of crazy talk here in California. We'd have to ask the governor how mature our kids are. (laughs) 
But parents know this. I'm going to read something to you that's absolutely thrilling. Matthew 27:50. Matthew 27:50. Listen to this. Jesus is on the cross. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. That means Jesus died when he said he was going to die. All right, I'm dying now. I'm all done. Paying the, I'm all done on the cross, carrying everyone's sin and making atonement for all of man. And at, when Je- the second Jesus was done paying the price for all of mankind's sin, he said, spirit, be gone. I'm done. He yielded up his spirit, verse 51. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Not bottom to top. From top to bottom. That thing was somewhere between six to eight inches thick, woven material in the vicinity of about 30 feet high. It's torn, and the earth quaked, And the rock split open. I love that. Wow. And the graves were opened. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of the cool things to see happening is that graves opened up and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, that's what believers call death, were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, that is also... They went into the holy city, that's Jerusalem, and appeared to many. Can you imagine people so, hey, wow, aren't you Uncle John from five months ago? Yeah. Hi, how you doing? Can you imagine? Just at the death of Jesus. It's almost like a foretaste. It's almost like a primer to the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of all of us. When Jesus died on the cross, people began to pop out of the grave. Let's all stand for this, because we have to end. Because you, you have to, there's a lot of stuff out in the courtyard that you guys are going to want to enjoy tonight. You're standing, and we're ending, but this is a whopper of a verse. So Romans chapter 8. You heard part of it a moment ago, but check this out. Romans 8, verse 28. Follow along with me, everybody. Just take this in. Let this wash over you, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, we read that earlier, remember? He also predestined. All of this is in the past tense. This is God's promises. They've been given to you. To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn forerunner, prototype among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? Watch this. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? Is somebody condemning you? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also makes intercession for us? Jesus talks to his Father about you. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation... Friends, listen, this is the Bible here. Forgive me. Shall tribulation... I don't make enough money. I don't have enough friends. I got sick. Hey, let's be honest. Cancer. COVID. Fear. Fill in the blank. What is it? There's no out, you know. You can't come later and say, well, I have an out. I have a pink slip for this one. No, you don't. No, no, you don't. Tribulation? Nope. Distress? Nope. Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Peril? Or sword? Does somebody have a sword in your throat right now? The Bible says, that's not a problem. This world's only temporal. God's got it all taken care of for you, believer. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. He's talking about the ministry. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded. This is the key. This is Personally, verse 39, or verse 38 is, in my opinion, the key to life. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, that's demonic activity, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, that includes me, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Father, I pray that you would galvanize us as you desire by the power of your Holy Spirit. It is your will that we trust you because you made us promises. May we go forth tonight in these promises. May we not be fearful. May we not be timid. May we not be in any way, shape, or form silenced by a world that is dying. The opposite. May we speak up and speak life, love, and liberty to the captives who are bound. Oh, God in heaven, get us ready to meet you. We can't wait to see you. Lord, we pray that day would come any moment now. And for any man or woman, boy or girl right now that's a little nervous about that, may they say to you now, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Write my name in your book of life and make me your own. Thank you, God, that nothing shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen and amen. God bless.